Welcome to the Restore Church Sermons podcast. We're so glad you joined us here today. We hope that through this message, you are encouraged, challenged, and strengthened. If you want to know more about Jesus, Restore Church, or have any questions, please head to restorechurch.com.au. All right, this morning, um, we've got the title slide there, Greg. That's okay. If you have your Bibles there, I'm going to be looking at a passage I keep coming back to quite frequently in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. Um, And it's not because it's like the only verse I know how to preach on. Um, (laughs) There are three of those I know how to preach on. Um, But I keep coming back to it because I I just keep seeing things in it that I just figure are so important, you know. Um, In fact, you know the story, there's a story in the Old Testament uh, about Jacob's dream where Jacob falls asleep with his head on a rock and he dreams of a ladder going up to heaven and, and whatever. And a guy has published a book and he's written 12 chapters and each of them is a different take on that story. Um, and I think, again, that just goes to reinforce, you know, when we talk about the Bible being living and active and, and it, it's not to be meant to be read in this kind of one-dimensional, static way. We read it and we see things in there again and again that we didn't see before. It's God speaking to us. Do you agree? Um, and so that's why I keep sort of coming back to things. It's, I know there are lots of things I haven't preached on, but I really felt like I wanted to talk on this this morning. So it's in Luke 15, if you want to follow along, that's what we'll be doing. And I'm going to be talking about um, having a story off with God this morning. Right, you know what a dance-off is, don't you? Yeah. All right, we're going to have a story off with God. Your story versus God's story about you. Now, anyone have a favourite story when they were growing up? Oh, typical Christian, in the Bible. <laughs> what sort of household did you grow up in? I mean, seriously. My parents read me fairy stories. Okay, so let's, okay, all you sanctimonious people, we agree, you've got favourite Bible stories. Right, now let's talk about other stories. Anyone have a favourite story? Yes. The Magic Faraway Tree. Famous Five, what else? Naughty. The Narnia stories. Okay, see some of you, some of you, <laughs> rugby league weekly. Um, <laughs> Thomas the Tank Engine. Sorry, respect, respect. Okay, okay. Um, you know, my granddad used to tell me stories. Some of them were positively mortifying. If you've you ever read or listened to the, some of the stories that you listened to as a kid when you were growing up, you're like, that's hideous. Like, that's truly hideous. A a wolf that dresses as a grandmother. Like, what's that about? You know, and at the time, you don't think about it. Um, And the little boy who cried wolf. Don't you love the ending to that? He gets devoured. (laughs) And you'll be like... (laughs) Hopefully, the point sticks. Anyway, the point being, we're quite familiar with stories. And and the thing about stories, they're incredibly powerful, aren't they? Stories get to us in a way, as I, and I've said this many times before, stories get to us in a way that simple propositional truths and facts and figures really don't. Um, stories have a way of getting into us and motivating us. And, and we hear these stories growing up, but one of the things we often don't give a lot of thought to is the other types of stories that we listen to as we grow up and the stories that we actually begin to tell ourselves about who we are and the way we see the world and the way the world works. And it's actually these narratives 
um, these stories, these tapes in our head that keep running, that are actually one of the most powerful things about us because they are directing, actually, whether we know it or not, they're actually directing the direction of our life. They're taking us places, they're keeping us in places. Now, Jesus was a storyteller. And if you look through Matthew, Mark and Luke, you get dozens and dozens and dozens of, of these stories because people would ask Jesus a question and rather than just answer a question, in fact, Jesus only directly answered three questions, he would simply come back with another story, not some sort of cutesy, I'm avoiding the issue type story, but a, a story that was meant to stop people where they were and provoke them to think again about some of the assumptions that they were holding. They were provocative, they were challenging, and in some cases, they just completely destroyed the prevailing narratives that people were living by in those days. And in Luke 15, we have one of the most powerful examples, I think. It's, it's often called like the prince of, of, of stories, but one that challenges the way that most of us think about ourselves and think about ourselves in relation to God and think about the way God even thinks about us. And again, often despite what we claim to believe, we might find that there's actually these other stories that are running underneath what we say we actually believe that are actually proving more powerful and they don't line up with the, the actual truth. Now, in Luke chapter 15, it begins like this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were watching on with this thing muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And this is a setup to this story because I think if there was ever a, a story that needed challenging, it is this one, that there are those who are in and those who are out. It's this narrative of exclusion, Right? And there is a basis for this. And often it tends to be the predominant uh, or the, uh, the prevailing sort of powers that get to cast this story. But the story is essentially that in God's economy, there are people that he loves and that he likes and that he's happy to be around and who have unfettered access to him. And then there is everyone else. There are these people that are on the, on the out. And we actually get to tell you where that dividing line is. So Jesus starts out where the people are at. He's sitting in this environment where he's hanging around with all the people that he shouldn't be hanging around with and all the people who are in, those who've designated themselves in, are saying, how come he's hanging around with the people? So he uses this as a starting point for this parable. And here he is hanging around with the outs, with the sinners and the tax collectors, and they're being looked down upon by the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And th this was the way the world worked for them. If you believe this, you were in. If you didn't believe this, you were out. If you behaved like this, you were in. If you behaved like this, like this, you were out. And that's how it worked for them. But it wasn't just the system that designated them. There was this whole lot of self-designation that went along with this as well, because this narrative had become so strong. This was a story that people really bought into and one that they all began to then perpetuate. You know, we even do this today. There are ways that we actually fall into to thinking this is just the way it is, this is how the world works and really, you know, if we don't stop to think about it, um, it will continue but sometimes we should stop and think about it because it's only the way it is because we keep perpetuating that story, you know what I'm saying? It's like, we, we, like this is just the way things are. It doesn't have to be that way. But the problem is, unless we question it, we tend to buy into it and perpetuate it. Even worse, we tend to live out or live up to... Uh, sorry, we, we tend to live out and we live up or we live down to the stories that we actually tell ourselves. Um, there's a saying, there's a, a, a guy called Craig Rochelle who has this saying that our life tends to move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Does that ring true for you? Our life tends to move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And I guess that's just... Another way of saying what the Bible says, you know, as a man thinks in his heart, so 
is he? You know, this self-talk that we do, these tapes that play in our head, they tend to determine the type of life that we have. And so Jesus sees all this going on and the religious people sneering and he goes right to the throat and he says, let me tell you a story. And in fact, he tells three stories. He tells a story about a sheep that gets lost and a, a, a shepherd that goes to look for that sheep and find it and bring it back. He talks about a woman who loses a coin and tips the place upside down until she finds it. And then she tells, he tells the story that we're looking at, the prodigal son. It's about a father whose son takes off, but he waits and he watches until that son returns. And each story is designed to challenge the narrative that some people belong and others don't. And, and the word that figures prominently in these stories is very important. It's the word lost. And that's become something of a loaded word for us and it means certain things. But I'll tell you why it's very important as it comes, as it comes to understanding these stories in particular and the point that I think Jesus is trying to make. For something to be lost... It had to have belonged in the first place, yes? All right? I can't lose something that I don't have because I never had it, right? Okay? So, I can lose my car keys because they're my car keys, right? They once belonged to me. I can lose my money. I can lose my mind, all right? Because it essentially used to belong to me. But you can't lose something that has never belonged. And so, each, in each of these stories... There's a shepherd who loses a sheep that belongs to him. It has a place. There is a coin that goes missing from a woman. They belonged to her, those coins. And there is a son that goes missing who belongs to the father. So these stories aren't out about outsiders being welcomed in or things that were outside now being kind of identified and being brought back in. They're stories of, about things that have always had a place, have always belonged, but for some reason have gone missing in action. They've become displaced in some way. And the passion and the, the, the drive of the person who wants to, uh, to whom these things belong in actually making sure that they recover these things and bring them back to where they belong. So belonging is actually the starting point. And it's in the last of these three stories, the stories we know as the prodigal son, that Jesus really challenges the basis on which we belong. So one day, a young man comes and he says to his father, I want you to give me everything that's mine. And we've talked about this a lot. That was quite an insult. The father wasn't dead, but he wants, he wants his share of the inheritance. He takes it and he goes off to a far land and he, he lives a dissolute life and he ends up like, boom. Life comes unstuck in a big way for this young man. He loses everything and he realises, right, I've, um, I've got to head back to dad. It's the only hope I've got. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die here. And so he, he starts crafting a little speech that he's going to give to dad when he gets home. And the story goes like this. Father, I sinned against you and, I've, and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Take me back as one of your hired hands. And so on the one hand, there's a truth to this. Yes, you did mess up, son. I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. I've offended dad, I've wasted all this money, I've done all this stuff that I'm ashamed of and I shouldn't have done and I've learned my lesson. But then he goes on to say, therefore I am not worthy. Okay? I've done this, so I'm not worthy to be your son. That's the story in his head. Does anyone know that story? I've done this, therefore... So on the one hand, it's the ability to be able to acknowledge something that's probably a little bit unpalatable to us, the truth about where we've failed, where we've fallen short, where we've messed up, you know. Has anyone done that, by the way, messed up, fallen short? 
made a mistake? Yeah, okay. Catastrophically? Yeah. All right, good. We're in good company then. So it's one thing to be able to admit that, and it's healthy, and it's good to be able to admit that sort of stuff. What's not healthy is to then use that to make those subsequent statements that I've made this mistake, therefore I'm not worth anything. I've made this mistake, therefore I'm so bad. I've made this mistake, I've lost, I have no right in going back, etc., etc. Does anyone know what that talk sounds like? Okay. Has anyone ever self-excluded? Yeah? Anyone ever self-excluded? I've messed up, therefore I'm going to. And it's almost like I'm going to punish myself. Does anyone relate to that? Okay. So this is the self-talk that is going on in, in um, the younger son's head. I mean, I do this sort of stuff all the time. You know, I do a bad sermon and I say to my wife, I'm so rubbish at this job and she has to spend the next two hours talking me off the edge. Um, anyone, anyone married to someone like that? Yeah? Yeah? I do it all the time. Shocking. Um, and as I said, we each have a story we tell about ourselves and our own worth and place in the world, a tape that plays in our head, a narrative that we tell ourselves, you know, I'm not smart enough, I'm not thin enough, I'm not fast enough, I'm not clever enough. Um, you know, blah, 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 I do this, I do this, I do that, I make this mistake, I stuff up, I blah, 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 blah. Therefore, therefore, this is what I'm like. And we tend to live up or down to those stories. Um, so this son gets home, and before he can even get his speech out, which is, I've sinned against you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, etc. Before he can even open his mouth, his father rushes out, and he puts a robe around him, and he puts a ring on his finger, which is, which is, you're my son. This is what he's saying in this. He's going, welcome home, my son. You're completely reinstated to wherever you left. But the son has already returned with his story about himself. I'm, he's telling himself, I'm coming back, and I'm not worthy to be a son. I'm only worthy to be a servant. But the father meets him at this point, and the father's got this counter-narrative to his, this other story that says, no, you're my son, and nothing has ever changed. You're my son, nothing has, has ever changed. And, and, and so the father has this different story. And so the younger son at this point in time has a choice that he has to make in this moment. Um, whose story am I going to believe? Am I going to believe my story, which is I, I have done this wrong thing, therefore I have forfeited any right to be a son and to be worthy and to be treated in this way? Or am I going to believe my dad's story, which is you're my son, you've never stopped being my son. This is not pretending this didn't happen. It's just you're forgiven. This is the end of it. Welcome back. You belong. You've always belonged. Who finds it hard to take a compliment? Yeah? Yeah, someone will say to you, that was, you know, that thing you did, that was great. And, and you go, thank you. Yeah. I, for years, like, this is going to sound bad, like, for years, people would give me compliments about things and I would argue with them. That was, that was a great message, Adrian. No, it wasn't. Okay. Um, and then, then one day Heather said to me, do you know how people feel when you do that? Like, they're genuinely telling... They're not telling you that because they just want to make you feel good. If they really appreciate they're telling you that. And you tell them they're wrong. And you're like, I hadn't thought about it logically. I was just... I just thought they were trying to be nice. And she's like, no, they're giving you a compliment. So these days, you will notice, if you give me a compliment, I just go, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. You don't want to know what's going on in here, okay? What's going on in here is like, what do you want? Like, 
you must have been at a really bad church to think that that was a good sermon. Like, you know, la, 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 la. So you know what I'm talking about, don't you? There's the tapes. They're running. These competing stories about me, who I am, how I perform, what, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then someone comes along with a counter story that says, actually, that was really good. I really like you. You're a good person. There are times where I've spoken to people and I've looked them in the eye and I've said, you're a good person. And I watch their eyes go straight to the ground. You know anyone like that? Because it's like, I can't, I cannot assimilate what you're telling me. This is so at odds with the story that I have heard or the story I keep telling myself that I can't actually look you in the eye and agree with that thing. We were at this, uh, uh, I told you I went to this thing a while ago and um, one of the things was we had to look at each other in the eye and say, basically, you are a child of God, well made. Yeah. Do you know how hard that was for people to do that? Now, again, we're talking about people who've grown up in church. We're talking about people who are leaders in church. So people, they know the theory. They know how it works. They know the truth. But when it comes to having someone look them in the eye and say, you are a beloved child of God, well made, that's a really hard thing to hear for some people, yeah? It's a really hard thing to hear because we've heard so many things that are contrary to that to the point that we then continue to tell ourselves things that are contrary to that. Now, it might not seem it, but both of these brothers are actually telling themselves the same story. They have different reasons for telling themselves this story and different reactions, but they're telling themselves the same story, which is my worth and value and place is behaviour-based. And whereas the younger son, he disqualifies himself for his poor behaviour, the older son, the elder brother, thought it was his faithfulness that qualified him for certain things. And that's why he's so angry with the way the father welcomes back his brother. The older brother sees that his brother has messed up considerably and so offensively and egregiously he can't believe it. And he wants nothing to do with his brother. So when his father welcomes, him back, welcomes the younger brother back, no questions asked, reinstates him and then begins to throw a party for him to celebrate the fact that he is back. There's been no recrimination. There's just a celebration. He says to him, what are you doing? What are you, what are you doing? Look over here for a second. I have been with you the whole time and you've not even given me a goat to celebrate with my friends? Like a goat's not a big thing. It's the equivalent of, I don't know, party pies and sausage rolls, right? Yeah. It's, 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 it's a standard kind of thing. It's like a goat. But you've killed a fattened calf? Like that was up there. That's mini quiches and, you know, nice, <laughs> nice tapas and stuff, right? So you've, you've killed a fattened calf for him after everything he's done. I've been with you the entire time, working my butt off, doing everything that's been expected of me, and not once have you given me anything. So the older brother has this story he's telling himself. The younger brother's is, I can't be your son because I've messed up and I'm not worthy. But the older brother's is, I've been your son, um, I'm your son because all these years I've played by the rules. All these years I've proved my worth. And ironically enough, some of us know that story too. And if you think that you can't hold both of these things at the same time, you can. 
because you can actually believe a lot of the time that you're not worthy and you're not good and la 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 la. But then there are other times equally where you will get miffed with God and the reason you'll get miffed with God is, but I've been doing everything I'm supposed to do. Yeah? How come I'm not seeing this? How come, how come so-and-so down the road who I know is not a nice person and they do X, Y and Z, how come life is chugging along for them but, but my life is not going the way I want it to do and I'm, I keep my nose clean? Do you see the, the contradiction in all of that? You know, on the one hand, I'm not good enough but on the other, hang on a second, at least I try, you know, I step up where necessary. So some of us can have this tape playing in our head as well. And again, when this older son confronts the father with his story of, hey, I, I deserve better than this because I've been here and I've been doing everything that's expected of me. Again, the father comes back with another counter story, another narrative, which is, really? You think your faithfulness is what entitles you to my favour. That's not how it works. He actually says this, hey, everything, you've always been with me and everything I have is yours. You're with me and everything I have with yours. At what point did you think you earned that or needed to earn that? You have this because I've given it to you. It's yours. It's no strings attached. You don't need to jump through hoops. You don't need to, 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 to try and prove to me that you're worthy of this. You wanted a goat? You could have had a goat. You could have had a fattened calf, but you never asked. Do you think that's the basis on which this relationship works? Your behaviour? In the same way you think... His ill behaviour disqualifies him. Your good behaviour qualifies you. That's not how this works. These relationships work on my love. My completely unconditional love. You can never do anything that's going to make me disown you. And you can never do anything that's going to make me love you more. This relationship is based on my unconditional love for you. You are my son and you are my son. And you will always be my son, and you will always be my son, and everything I have is yours. How's that for a story to tell yourself when it comes to how God feels about you? You don't lose it by blowing it, and you don't have it by earning it. Why does it matter? It matters because you and I are trusting stories about ourselves that aren't the story God is telling us. We're trusting stories that we've imbibed along the way, that we've kind of curated in our minds based on a range of factors and not all of them good. We're basing it on the way we think the world works. You know, like it sums like everything is a meritocracy. But in the kingdom, it's not. It's, it's entirely by grace and it's entirely by love. God has this other story, a counter story, and we need to decide which one we are going to believe. Sometimes we're playing the unworthy story. We believe that 
God can't possibly feel the way he says he feels about us or will do things for us because we're just not worth it. Other times we're doing the flummoxed story about I can't believe it because I have done this and I don't understand why God hasn't blessed me in that respect. They're completely different stories but they're based in the same belief that it's our performance that decides our acceptance, our belonging and what we can expect from God in life. And you know what? That is a really shaky way to live. You know why? Because my performance varies, not just daily, but hourly. Yeah? Okay? So there are times where I'm, I'm the good son, and there are times where I'm the prodigal, you know, or below the prodigal. Um, you know, I just can't... If I'm going to base my relationship with God and my expectation of God on my performance, then I'm in for... That's the ride I'm on. Does anyone relate to that? Some of us are on that ride now. Seriously. You know? It's, it's, like, it's like for us, like preaching. You know, you're only as good as your last sermon. Um, you know, and seven days is a long time when you've done a clangor, right? <laughs> but it's like, I'm only as good as that last thing that I did. And if the last thing that I did was bad, then I'm bad. Until I do something good that kind of counterbalances that out. That's not the determining factor about how God feels about you and what you could expect for Him, but how He sees you. His posture towards you, whenever we come to Him, is not, you think that's the basis on which this works? It's not. The basis is unconditional love and grace. I love you because you belong to me. And it doesn't matter how far you've tried to run away, it doesn't matter what you've done, you've never stopped belonging. You were lost, you were displaced for a little while, but you never stopped belonging to me. That's the basis on which we have this relationship. So Jesus offers us another more consistent and stable story to live by. That we never stop being sons and daughters, no matter how bad we blow it. That we never deserve more because we perform better. You know, that, that, that somehow he's going to pay grade us based on our performance. It's all ours. Everything he has is ours just because we belong. That's it. So we're going to take some communion now. And again, a great way to end because, again, the basis of this relationship is what Jesus has done for us, yes? Okay? It is his death. It is his righteousness. It is his performance that has been credited to us. And we can stand confident in that. So let's take communion. It's at the sides, it's in the back. Spend some time just thanking God, dealing with that, bringing that story before the cross and see if it stands. And then we'll get the team up. Thanks.